Welcome to Faith Bible Church's Midweek in the Word podcast, where we are together seeking to become better readers, hearers, and doers of the Word each week. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Midweek in the Word. We're thrilled that you're choosing to join us for another week, uh, that you're on board as we walk through the Bible in our sermon series and on the podcast. As always, you know my voice. I'm Brad Myers, Faith Bible Church's Adult Ministries Pastor and your host on the podcast. And this week, I am thrilled to say that I am joined by another special guest on the podcast, Rather than Tom joining us this week, we are joined by um, the man who did the message on Sunday for us, Nat Crawford, Back to the Bible's president and Bible teacher. Uh, Thanks for the message on Sunday, Nat, and welcome to the podcast. Hey, appreciate it very much. I'm glad to be here. Well, we we appreciate not only what you shared on Sunday, but your willingness to to jump in here and continue uh, our week to week as we do some review questions and preview questions. We'll we'll touch on that here in a second when we get to that. Um, but first, many of our listeners probably don't know you personally or aren't familiar with your current ministry. So before we get to the questions on the podcast, uh, could you fill us in a little bit? What's your story? How did you end up in ministry? Wow. Uh, how much time do we have? I think that's a podcast <laughs> in and of itself. <laughs> there, um, you, there you go. But uh, yeah, it, it's true. Um, yeah. So, you know, born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska, uh, went to actually your neighbor's uh, school, Lincoln Christian, uh, right next to Faith, uh, my whole life. And so, I mean, it was raised in the Word, raised on Back to the Bible, raised in a church. Uh, but I was convinced growing up that I was going to be an executive or a business owner. I come from a line of, of business owners and entrepreneurs, so I thought for sure that's where I would end up long term. And for a good portion of my adulthood, that's what I did. I owned my own marketing company. I got into leadership development. I got certified as a, as an executive coach. So I've worked with uh, Fortune 500 companies and coaching their leadership teams. But there is always something in me that felt like God was going to move me into ministry. I didn't know where, I didn't know how, uh, but I went back to school, got a degree in uh, biblical studies and business leadership, got a master's degree in Christian apologetics. And it was at that moment, God opened the door to become a teaching pastor and an outreach pastor at a local church right down the street from Faith. And I served there for a little over five years in that capacity. And then God opened up a door for me to transition to back to the Bible. And I've been here since January, and now I serve as the uh, president and Bible teacher here. Yeah, uh, fill us in a little bit on that, um, because some people may not be overly familiar with back to the Bible. Uh, So what is back to the Bible, and, and what's involved in your current role there? Sure. So Back to the Bible actually is an 80-year-old teaching ministry, was primarily a radio ministry when it first began. And, you know, you look at some unique characters in the city of Lincoln who have had a profound impact uh, in Christianity locally. Uh, Theodore Epp was one of those guys. He started Back to the Bible, but he's also involved in starting a church uh, and he helped start, you know, Lincoln Christian School. And so he created this ministry here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we've gone from, you know, Bible teachers like Theodore Epp to Warren Wearsby to Woodrow Kroll. Uh, and, and now, out of all crazy things, I get to serve at, in, that, in that capacity as the Bible teacher and president. And what's really cool about Back to the Bible is though we are a Bible teaching ministry, We've been ahead of the curve for quite some time because we recognize that 
the Word of God doesn't change. However, sometimes how we can communicate it does change. And, you know, when radios came into existence, you know, we were there to jump on it. When TV began becoming big, we actually, you know, developed a TV studio. But now in a digital world, we've also been leading the charge. And so we have digital solutions to help people move closer to Jesus today than they were yesterday. So though we are doing the traditional Bible teaching, we're doing short-form videos, we also have an app called GoTandem. And GoTandem is a tool that we've developed that has a spiritual GPS. It invites people into our uh, into our app, and we help them figure out where they are in their spiritual journey, where are they in their relationship to Christ, and help them grow and move closer to Jesus. So they get content fed daily to them based on where they're at and where they need to go. So all the content we create here gets fed into this app, and it's customized to them. And in that same vein, we've actually been creating church solutions as well. So what's crazy is we develop these tools for discipleship and small groups and gatherings without knowing that COVID was going to hit. And so when COVID hit, we had some tools and solutions at no cost to churches to help them stay connected in a world where they were forced apart. So Back to the Bible has been, uh, uh, I think, a forerunner in, the, in a ministry across multiple areas. But it's cool to say that 80 years later, we're still running strong. We're as committed as ever to good theology, Bible teaching, and moving people closer to Jesus today than they were yesterday. Hmm. Well, I know I've, I've listened to a number of the programs there, and I grew up listening uh, to stuff coming from back to the Bible. So I'm excited about what the ministry is doing there. And uh, your yeah. current role there, you said you're, you're the president and Bible teacher. Uh, what's yeah. involved in that? Okay, so th- this is kind of funny. You know, when you and I, have, you know, we preach on occasion, and you know how much work goes into to preaching one sermon. Well, <laughs> right. we're a daily Bible teaching ministry. So think about this. Every day, Monday through Friday, we are creating Bible teaching messages. So, so sermons. So, you know, in my role as Bible teacher, I'm in the studio recording these messages in the same microphone I'm talking to you. Uh, I'm studying the Word of God. I'm teaching the Word of God. And then I'm bringing leadership and and coaching to uh, back to the Bible uh, in the area of our content. And so it's really neat to look for the holes, to listen to that spiritual GPS that that we have through Go Tandem, and I get to see, okay, here are the things people are struggling with today. Here's where they need to grow. And so I get to go back to my office, work with my team, and say, okay, here's the content we need to create for the individuals who are interacting with us so that they can grow. And that's what I get to do. I get to oversee that, uh, encourage it, and then get to teach the messages. It, it's really, I, I can't believe I get to do this. Few people get to say their hobby is their job, and that's really what it is for me. Mm. Well, we appreciate that. And and honestly, you know, in, in a way of transitioning uh, for our listeners, uh, that's exactly what you were doing for us on Sunday. And we appreciate in your busyness, of your schedule, your willingness to step in and mm-hmm. preach a message on Zachariah and Elizabeth yep. from Luke mm-hmm. 1. Listeners, if, if you yes. weren't able to... To, if you weren't able to join us either on Sunday or weren't able to listen to that, I'd really encourage you to check out the podcast or go on our website and find that. Take a minute and listen through Nat's message. It was really an encouragement to my own heart. And listeners, if you're new to the sermon series or you haven't been at the church for a long time, we have been going Genesis through Revelation, looking at all 66 books of the, of the Bible in a sermon series Tom's entitled Route 66, Snapshots 
from Genesis to Revelation. And Nat picked us up right as we transitioned from the Old Testament to the New Testament and took the first two characters of the New Testament that Tom had selected in Zechariah and Elizabeth from Luke 1. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Nat, we want to review a bit of your message on Sunday yep. for our listeners. Uh, what did we learn about God on Sunday? Yeah, I, I remember sitting down, I'll answer that question in a second, but I remember sitting down with Tom and he said, you know, he said, hey, can you preach on, on Luke 1? I'm like, well, yeah, but which part, you know? <laughs> and, and, right. and he's like, no, no, Luke 1. Oh, and can you talk about the 400 years of silence? And I'm like, and how much time? And yeah, so, yeah. I, but as I, as, as I studied that text, I thought, you know, Zach, Zachariah and Elizabeth really seem to be, uh, you know, the focal point uh, as human characters, though we meet Mary, but it's like, you know, as as we think about the Bible as a whole, as I said on Sunday, it's really a story about God. There are so many bit characters in there, but it's really not about them. It is about God. And so as I worked my way through that text, you know, there were certain key words, and that's what's fun about doing, you know, exegesis is you get to zoom in on words and, and study them and wrestle with them. And so I came away from that, from that uh, sermon a few things. One, God, I think God desires us to have certainty. That was the first point in the sermon. God, people will ask the question, you know, why is God so hidden? And I always think, are you looking around you? Uh, Have Mm. you taken a look at the sky, at a baby, at at the star, at a tree? God is not hidden. He has made himself known all around us. But then he gives us his word. So many of the the biggest questions we could possibly ask are answered in the Bible. So God desires us to have certainty about who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. But we also discovered in this text, when we looked at Zechariah and the reverence he had for God as he was preparing to go into the Holy of Holies, it was very clear that he feared God. And that, mm-hmm. that reminded me I just am not convinced, and that's this is from my own life, okay, that I don't know how much I fear God. We tend to see God in a light that's very um, friendly, cozy, cuddly, Abba, Father, Daddy-ish, which is true. It's 100% true, and yet we know that God is God. He is holy. He is just. He's all-powerful. Therefore, we, we can come to God because of what Christ has done, but we better remember that what he says goes, and we respect him, and we fear him. And then as we ended the sermon, we were reminded that God has been faithful. God has made promises, and he has, has uh, seen them through. He has answered them, and he will deliver on the future ones. Therefore, God can be trusted. So we discovered God uh, desires us to have certainty because he's revealed himself he deserves us to fear him because he is God and because of what he has done and promised to do, we can trust him. Therefore, maybe this will go into what you want to talk about next, potentially, is we have a response that we need to uh, reflect in light of those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very much so. And that and that is the second question as Tom's been wrestling through all of these characters of the Bible. Uh, the second question that he's been bringing up every week is, is what does this story reveal about us? What does it reveal about mankind? Uh, which, So yeah, that's exactly where I'd like to go next. Right. What, did, what did we see in the life of Zachariah and Elizabeth uh, that would reveal something about us? Well, here's, here's the fact of the matter. When we talked about the whole the story, the 400 years of silence, and we look at just the Old Testament as we get like a real brief, you know, like one minute version mm-hmm. of the Old Testament, we're reminded that 
we are forgetful creatures and we are sinful creatures. Uh, so this posture of of looking at God with certainty, this posture of fear, this posture of trusting in Him is not natural for us. We we want to play God, we want to do things by our own rules. But yet, when we have that faith in God, that was that's that's what made Zacharias righteous. It was that faith. The natural result was that he would choose to trust and obey. And so that is what our response should be. We are called as new creations in Christ to trust God and obey God, not purely out of obligation or compulsion, though it is true as people who are created in his image and people who fear him, we should trust and obey out of our love for him and as the natural outflow of what he has done for us. So there is a response, and I think that's what we saw in there. Yeah, very much so. Lastly, uh, every week we want to ask, how does this point us to Christ? How did this story point us to the person and work of Christ? Hmm. That was kind of, I, I would say, the highlight of the sermon, though, again, with the time we had, we <laughs> barely touched on it. <laughs> this was the moment. I mean, this was the moment. Here, the the people of God have been waiting for a Messiah. You know, Adam and Eve sinned, messed it up, but God said, don't worry, I'm going to provide a way. He kept pointing forward to the future, this coming Messiah. And so throughout the Old Testament, we, we constantly are reminded, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And there in Luke 1, the good news is delivered to Mary, you are going to have a son his name shall be Jesus. So here it is, the moment we've been waiting for, the Messiah has come, and now the question is, what's going to happen next? That's, I mean, think about that. I love reading scripture, even though I know the story, when I approach it with these fresh eyes and a hunger and desire, I do ask the question, what's next? He's coming, now what? And and so now I'm excited to see how, you know, uh, we progress at faith through through uh, through that story and answering that question but here it is the 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 savior has come yeah and we only had to wait you know 9 months to get to get here in our sermon series <laughs> uh, all of this has been building and and listeners every week we've been talking about how we anticipate Christ how the old testament is speaking of Christ um, and I, with Matt, would just mm-hmm. say it's exciting. We're we're getting to that story. We're getting to it talking is. about Christ. And, and the next few weeks, I know, are going to be really, really fun as mm. we get to start pulling some of those themes together that we haven't had the opportunity to in the past. Well, thank you again, Nat, for your mm. message on Sunday, for everything you shared. Yep. Um, listeners, if you, if you were tuning in last week uh, to the podcast, you know that we did a little bit of a review as we were covering things from the Old Testament, trying to prepare us for the New Testament. And obviously, Nat's sermon transitioned us into the New Testament, into moving forward with this story. Um, but Nat, I know one of the most common questions that I that I get from our church and from our listeners relates to how we interpret and apply specifically the Old Testament in the 21st century as readers uh, where we are today. So we've briefly addressed this question in the past as it related to some specific passages that listeners had sent in to us. Um, but I hope we mm. could dig into this a little bit deeper in our discussion um, this morning. So, so let's try and frame up this whole idea of interpreting the Old Testament from the 21st century. Why, why do you think we so frequently struggle yeah. to appropriately understand and then obviously apply what we read in the Old Testament? 
When I was in Bible school, uh, I took a hermeneutics course, and in my hermeneutics course, I was reminded of of something, that the Bible and each letter was written, and each book was written to a unique people in a unique time with unique purposes. And so therefore, there was, uh, in one, one sense, one meaning to what was, to what was being communicated. So you have that. But then you got to realize this was being communicated in a culture, right? Thousands of years ago in with ways and systems that are really foreign to us. And so we got to remember that when, you know, when we read a passage in the Old Testament, like right now I'm working through, you know, first Chronicles and, you know, the first couple of chapters, it's so-and-so begets so-and-so and, you know, this person, the family, and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, that's, <laughs> how do <laughs> right. I apply that? So that you kind of go, that's a, that's a really big gap, but both in the, just in the, the writing style, but the reality is it's, it's a different culture different context, different situation. And so in this hermeneutics course, the second step was trying to understand, as they put it, the width of the river. What are the differences between the biblical audience and us? And that's why there's a struggle, because at times we're reading it going, well, we don't have those situations. There's no animal sacrifice now. How do I apply this text? Is there even a principle here that I can apply? And so that's when we get to the New Testament. It can seem, though there are differences, at times it's just a little more straightforward. The, the, the writing is so plain, just go, oh, don't commit sexual morality. I got that. That's real clear. Mm-hmm. So there's just, there, there's, a, there's a river there we have to cross. And so I think it trips a lot of us up. Yeah, I think that's appropriate. And in the past on the podcast, we've we've spent a number of weeks talking specifically about context, both you know cultural context, historical context, literary context, and and all of that 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 you were really you were really speaking to as far as the river. I think that's a helpful illustration for our listeners. Uh, but assuming we've done all of our due diligence on understanding the the them then, understanding what was being said to that people at that time. Uh, what makes bridging the gap between the testaments and the covenants specifically so challenging for us? Well, I think I I think I answered that question actually in my last question or in my last answer potentially. But bridging the gap between testaments again, I, I think, uh, is generally can be a little more straightforward, you know, with the New Testament. But the Old Testament, you know, you constantly see this pointing forward to a, to a day where the Messiah comes a day where salvation is finally delivered. And the New Testament is the recognition of the of that day. Um, so when you talk about the Old Testament and the New Testament, I think, generally speaking, those two broad categories, I don't know if that gap is, is so hard to cross. I think it's sometimes we get into a little more struggle when we talk about covenants, because depending on where we're going to go with the, with the topic— it can lend itself into some more things of like systematic theology. But when I think in general, when we're talking about covenants, it has to, it depends on what we're talking about, you know, with a covenant like Noah, you know, that God would never destroy the earth again by water. Again, that's pretty straightforward. It doesn't, doesn't trip us up. The Abrahamic covenant, that God would make Abraham a great nation, uh, that unconditional promise uh, then we talk about the Mosaic Covenant, where God would be covenantly faithful to Israel as a nation, or the covenant between Christ and the church, as we find in 1 Corinthians 11. So I think, depending on which one we're talking about and how we're handling it, I think, again, they can be fairly straightforward. 
But again, I think we can start to like drift into systematic theology then. And I think that's probably where pastors like us, theologians, we probably wrestle more than other people. And that's where I, uh, that's the reason I say that the Old and the New Testament is kind of a simple way. It's simpler. Before, you know, Christ is the Old Testament pointing to Christ. And then the New Testament is during Christ and after Christ pointing to our future. So that's a really simplified way of looking at it. But the deeper we get, I think the more confusing it gets because then we're starting to get into the stuff that we only talk about in pastor circles and in in school. So I don't know if that answers your question. Uh, I'm probably more confused than I was when I began. <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go. That's, I, I'm not sure that that's the encouragement to our listeners that that, that we were hoping for maybe, but uh, it, it is one of those challenging things when it really comes down to a, a lot of a case-by-case basis. But I like, I like exactly what you're saying right. as far as remembering how the story is unfolding as one story, you know, and right. that it's all leading the same direction really helps us to be reminded that it's not some chopped up book that doesn't have some level of consistency across it. It really is all moving in the same exactly direction, right. Exactly, uh, right. which is, which is in a lot of ways that the debate over any particular issue, you know, listeners, you may not be familiar with the term, but to, to Nat's point, in, in theological circles, a lot of times they wrestle with the term continuity versus discontinuity. Basically, what is what is consistent that we see from the Old Testament and, and what is not consistent, and how do we look at that in a given situation? Um, right. So, let's, so let's, let's try to get practical here a little bit, Nat, for our listeners. Um, how do we know whether to presume there's yep. continuity or discontinuity in a given text or on a given subject? Well... Again, I'm probably going to disappoint a lot of people in this, but but I'm okay with that. I do it a fair amount. <laughs> there we go. I, I think at times we've oh, uh, hey, I'm just being honest because I, I think we've overcomplicated this a lot. And again, I go back to these topics of systematic theology because we we as humans do like to put things in nice, neat boxes. And I think there are a good many things in Scripture that are really clear. As, as we've been saying, the, the Bible's the story of God. It is one whole story. And there every piece of it is there on purpose. And, and there's a flow. You know, God, it's a story about God. God creates the universe. He creates mankind. Mankind falls. There is a problem. God is there. He cares. He is there to uh, watch over and protect his people. He's providing a way. And then in all scandalous things, he says, I'm going to create a way so that the whole world has the opportunity to come to know me. It's not just the, the people of, of, of God, the Israelites, the Jewish nation. No, it's everybody who received the gift of my son. And so when we can look at, at Scripture and remember that there is an overarching theme and that no verse should be interpreted in isolation, I think we remove a lot of the problems. So when I said we, we should never interpret a verse in isolation, what I mean by that is this. Any verse, if we read it on its own, we can create a system of theology or a meaning that is not true or potentially true. What we need to do is interpret Scripture in light of Scripture, in context. So in light of a paragraph, in light of a chapter, in light of a book, and then in light of the whole. So as we wrestle with continuity and discontinuity— 
what's continuing, what is not continuing, what has ended, we need to look at the surrounding text around it. So a great example, temple worship, animal sacrifice. We know that that today holds no value, so that has discontinued. No longer are priests needing to go in and offer sacrifice because that sacrifice was never sufficient in and of itself. Rather, it was pointing to the final sacrifice, Jesus Christ. There's the continuation, the need of a sacrifice of the blood to cover the sins. Who is that person? Jesus Christ, the continuity. The discontinuity is the discontinuing of that practice of animal sacrifice. The laws. Is there a place for the moral law? Absolutely. It's a good way to live. Can it apply to us today? Sure. But there are other laws, the ceremonial laws, that don't hold any real application for us today because those were written to a certain people, certain time, certain context specifically for them. Are there principles there? Yes. But we need to study, research, discover what those are in light of Scripture as a whole and apply it. So I hope that didn't disappoint people too much but I, I don't, what my point is this, there are things that are abundantly clear where things continue, things discontinue, and sometimes we can say, I just don't know for sure, but here's what it would appear to be in light of Scripture. Hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that is helpful to people. It's almost, it's almost like some of what you're saying is the, the time, place, and people change, the situations change, but the God who wrote it doesn't change, you know, so there's always going to be a continuity of principle. There's always going to be a continuity of the God we serve at times. Um, Bingo. The situation, the context of the people that he's working with are going to change. Is, Is that an appropriate summary of what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. Again, it goes back to hermeneutics. You know, you look at the, you look at the original text, you look at the people group who it's being written to. So again, one meaning, you look at the gap, what are the differences between us and them? You look for the principles that are timeless. There are principles that are going to be in the text, sometimes multiple principles, that's true. But then there's the application. So what? How do I apply this today? Again, one of the things I I probably harp on way too much is going to a Bible study and someone asks, what does this mean to you? Eh, (laughs) Wrong question. No, bad, you're out. The question is, what does this text mean What's the principle, and how does it apply to you? And that's where we see so much variance. Mm, really good. I, you know, just just for our listeners that you know, you've heard Tom and I mention these these same sort of principles, and and hopefully, hopefully with a with a little reinforcement from Nat, you're thinking we're not as crazy as we once were on this subject. But I know Tom has talked a lot about that of devotional approach <laughs> oh as goodness. far as what's the immediate context for me and things like that, and and it really does come down to a lot of that in in similar situations. Right. Uh, pra- practically speaking, Nat, are there any additional things? You've already talked to some of the context, different things. We've talked a lot about Tom's method of coma, helping preserve some of these things in the past. Are, are there any other mm-hmm. practical tips you'd give our listeners to make sure we don't move off into error a little bit on this subject? Well, here's, again, I, I'll just reiterate what I've said before, that, again, a, a, a text should not be uh, it, interpreted in the isolation. Because, again, there are a lot of great verses, and there's a lot of bumper sticker verses out there, but the context tells us that we've misinterpreted it. Um, you know, one of I, I remember uh, seeing, delight yourself in the Lord, you know, and he'll give, he'll give you the desires of your heart. 
Well, people take the bumper sticker approach to that, you know, love God and he'll give you the, you know, the, the desires of your heart. I mean, that's the simplified version, but they kind of say, well, if I give God, you know, five bucks in the offering plate, guess what? I'm going to get a jackpot when I go to the casino. No, Mm -hmm. no, not at all. (laughs) What are you doing? You know, but again, we need to look at the text in in the whole of text, uh, in what the Bible has to say, so we can understand it properly. Um, so that's one part of it. Two, I, you know, we don't have to be theologians. You don't have to go to seminary to understand Scripture. I think oftentimes the plain meaning is the plain meaning, but I also hold to a, a historical meaning is probably right as well. So whenever I I read a text and I'm like, oh man, I think I've discovered something new. I need to go back and see what mm-hmm. those who have said years before have, have said, see what the what the historical position of the church has been, and, and allow that to help shape me. Again, the Bible is still the final authority on it. God has spoken, and, and those things can be plain. But if I start to go in error, I need to go back and look at as many uh, checks and balances as possible. But I think the more we learn— to love God's word, to let scripture interpret scripture, learn to read the the text, mine it for all its wealth, the less trouble we will get into and the less eisegesis and the less misinterpreting we will do. But I think we've the this it's very, really quite simple, but we need to be willing to let the text lead to where it needs to lead. And last, I would say this is prayer. You know, the Holy Spirit Mm -hmm. gives us the opportunity uh, to see truth. And a lot of us, myself included, I mean, I'm in the Word of God constantly throughout the day because it's part of my job. But I can be so task-focused that I don't pause give God the ample time he deserves in communion with him and asking him, God, open my eyes to see, because I don't want to take this text and warp it or just make it say something that I want it to say because I've got an ax to grind. God, no, open my eyes, open my heart, allow me to see the meaning, help me to apply it today. And I think those steps, those checks and balances greatly help us. But at the end of the day, God's word has, God has spoken through his word, and we need to go back to it to help us understand what it says. Mm. Well, Nat, I was I was planning on asking you if you had any additional thoughts on this subject, but I, I think that feels like the right place to end. About all I got to say after that is, is amen. <laughs> you know, hey. uh, good encouragement to our listeners. I, I appreciate your thoughts on that subject. And um, just that reminder to us um, that the the process is it feels challenging, and obviously we're spending time on the podcast trying to help us become better readers of God's Word. Um, but it's also a whole lot more simple than we yeah. make it out to be sometimes. And and just that reminder, that encouragement, I think to our listeners is is a great note to end on. Hmm. Uh, well. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for another episode on the podcast. And Nat, thank you for joining us and for preaching uh, this last Sunday. We really appreciated your message and your willingness to step on to the podcast with us. My pleasure. Uh, listeners, uh, know that if you've been following along in the weekly reading in our Route 66 sermon series, uh, we have 
Matthew 1 and Luke 1, 1 and 2, as we are getting to the characters of Mary and Joseph in Tom's sermon series. And know that as you work through those texts, we'd love to hear your questions. If you come up with anything as you're reading along, or if you're reading elsewhere in Scripture, we'd love to address any questions you have, any interpretive questions that we could address on the podcast. And just know that as you go about the week, we and the leadership of the church will be praying for you. And we hope you join us again next week on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. As you're reading this week, be encouraged by the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth.